please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 13 today. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all of the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I will baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended to him. Thank you. This is the word of God. And you may be seated. Thank you, Lindsay. Uh, This is uh, just the very beginning of our uh, sermon series in the Gospel of Mark. We started last week. We'll take uh, two weeks on this passage here. Uh, Just get started on it today and then uh, uh, wrap it up uh, next week. Um, It's a strange scene. And maybe if you've been a Christian for a while, this kind of just goes over your head. This John the Baptist guy and and this this baptism. But but it is, um, it's odd if you think about it. Here's Here's a guy whose last name apparently is Baptist. He just appears in the wilderness. He's dressed in camel hair, which, by the way, was as weird then as it is now. He ate uh, honey and locust. And here's maybe the strangest thing of the whole passage. People actually came out to listen to this guy. They actually showed up. The, the, The passage says the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. That's a lot of people. Not only did they, they, they come out to them, they voluntarily got dunked in a kind of mucky river by John. It's an, it's an odd scene. To help us picture, I think we might have a, a, a slide of the Judean wilderness that we can put up just to kind of help our minds imagine a little bit. Folks going out into the wilderness, encountering this man dressed in camel hair and being baptized by him in the Jordan. What is going on here? Whenever uh, we're looking at a passage that doesn't make a lot of sense to us, it it can be helpful as we're interpreting it to say, how would the original uh, reader, the original audience, have understood this passage? Or in our case, we we might more specifically say, what did the people who were actually going out to John, what did they think was happening? How How did they understand this experience? And of course, we can never totally know that. We can never totally get inside anyone else's head. But I think we can get relatively close. Particularly, if we, think, if we can begin to understand the, the collective history and hope that shaped how these individuals experienced this rather strange event. History and hope. Uh, here's what I mean by that. Think about the family that you grew up in. The circumstances that you grew up in. 
I bet that, that every single one of us in, in our families, we had certain shared uh, memories and expectations, certain shared histories and hopes in our families that uh, shaped how we experienced life in the present moment. In, in your family, my guess is there are certain things that happened in the past and certain things that you were hoping would happen in the future that impacted how you experienced your present moment. As an example, in, in my extended family, there are all sorts of threads of, uh, uh, of uh, alcohol abuse and, and, uh, and abuse of children. That's a thing that exists in my extended family. So y- you can imagine how that reality, how that past, how that history would shape how my family experienced certain things in the present moment. Are you with me? Are you, are you with me? Okay. And my guess would be uh, different ones of you and your families, you had different hopes, different expectations. One of the things I've heard repeatedly from folks who've had uh, an, an immigrant experience, either your parents immigrated or your grandparents immigrated, it's, it's recent enough that, that there were particular hopes that your parents had for you, that your grandparents had for you. And those hopes for your future impacted your present moment. Again, are, are, you, are you still with me? Okay, so so th- this is my sense that there's histories and there's there's expectations, there, there's histories and there's hopes that impact how we interpret our present moment. And this is what we need to understand if we're going to understand what's happening here in the Judean wilderness. How did these people see and interpret John the Baptist? What were their histories and hopes? Well, Mark actually tells us in verses two and three in our passage. He says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, quote, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Now this is a quote, and you can see that. But it's actually uh, what biblical scholars would call a composite quote. It's actually different quotations, different passages being brought together. Passages from, from the Old Testament being brought together in one. Now, this is not, if you're a student, don't do this. You don't get to like make up, pull different quotes together and just cite one person, okay? You're going to get called out on that. But in Jesus' day, that was a legit thing to do. And people were so steeped in the Hebrew scriptures that a rabbi or a teacher could quote one person and pull together these quotes and, and people would see the themes that that teacher was wanting you to see. So that's what's happening here. And this, this composite quote that Mark references was one that was in use even before Jesus, before Jesus' time. So let me, let me show you how this kind of pulls together here. So on, our, on the right here, you see our passage today, and we see the, you see the quote that Mark is using, as it says in Isaiah the prophet. Okay? Now he's pulling from three different passages to make this one. So on the top, we have Exodus 23.20. See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. He's also pulling from uh, the prophet Malachi. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And then finally, at the end, he's pulling from the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, if we had more time, we could actually kind of circle the different words and exactly how he's putting this thing together, how he's adjusting things to make this composite quote. But, but do you see it? Do you see it? Yeah? You like my nifty graphic? It's pretty impressive, right? I'm 
That's, that's the extent of my skills right there. You are seeing it. But hopefully this helps you picture when, when, uh, when Mark is kind of contextualizing this passage, when he's saying, as it was written, he's helping us see a bigger picture here that would have been in the minds of those coming to the Jordan River in the Judean wilderness. I would say that taken together, these three passages bring together the people's history as well as their hopes. Now, let's, let's look at this. The Exodus passage is pointing them backward. The Exodus passage is, is pointing back to the time of captivity in Egypt and God's liberation, God's rescue from Egypt in that first Exodus out of Egypt. When God led the Hebrew children into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, they encountered God, a God who transformed them and entered into an eternal covenant with the Hebrew children. The Exodus passage points us backwards. The Malachi passage begins to point us forward. Malachi was written after the people had had, had been taken into uh, exile and then returned home, but the temple wasn't what it used to be. The borders weren't defended. They were constantly threatened by the surrounding nations. And this passage points ahead to a messenger, to an Elijah-like figure who will prepare the way for God's salvation. And then the Isaiah passage also points ahead by evoking that first exodus and the road out of Egypt. Isaiah the prophet says, there will be a second exodus, a second rescue, when God will lead his people out of their captivity. I hope you're beginning to see how these things come together and how these things would have just kind of been in the air, in the mind, in the collective consciousness of people who encountered John and were interpreting him and experiencing. They would have read John, read his baptism in the wilderness through these histories and hopes. And running throughout each of these passages is the wilderness, the desert, the wilderness, the place where God once led his people and the place where he would one day lead them again. Now, the wilderness, in this case, it's the Judean wilderness, but throughout the Old Testament, wilderness is, is used uh, uh, is meant to be bigger than one particular place. It serves as a metaphor of God's rescue and God's judgment. So there's something here about the wilderness. By beginning the book with this quotation, Mark is providing us the history and the hope that shaped how people interpreted John's appearance in the wilderness. This was a people who looked back at the Exodus and they remembered God's rescue and the way God had made them into his people. This is a people who would remember God's judgment on their sin as in the wilderness they repeatedly turned away from God, how they rejected God, how they rebelled against God. The Exodus wilderness was a place of judgment. But it was also a place of grace. As over and over again, Moses intervened for them, petitioned for them, and they were spared. This was their history. But this was also a people whose hope was shaped by the prophets who anticipated a new Elijah. Old Testament fiery prophet of the wilderness. Elijah, who would come again to prepare the way for God's salvation. This is a people with a hope of a, a new exodus that would lead them once again through the wilderness of God's judgment 
and God's grace. The people coming from Judea and Jerusalem to John in the wilderness, they were longing for a new exodus. An exodus that would overthrow Roman oppression, that would rebuild and cleanse a desecrated temple. An exodus that would provide vindication for God's blessing and protection in their lives. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. With this history and this hope, the people heard about John in the wilderness. They heard about this guy who was preaching a baptism for the repentance of sins. And they they picked up, their ears picked up on those old notes of God's righteous judgment on sin and evil. They, they, they heard of one preparing the way for a powerful one who would baptize with the very Spirit of God. And they picked up those old notes of God's rescue and God's grace. Now again, to us, this opening scene, it should seem a little bizarre. It should seem a little unlikely. But because of their history and because of their hope, the people came running into the wilderness. The people came hoping for a new exodus. Now, how God was going to accomplish this salvation, this new exodus, it was going to surprise everybody, and we'll get to that next week. But for now, it's enough to say that God's Savior, that Jesus would submit to John's baptism for the forgiveness of sins. What do you make of that? Jesus, the spotless one, the sinless one, the perfect one of God. Jesus submits himself to John's baptism for the forgiveness of sins. The perfect and holy one who would baptize with God's spirit. The one who had no sin to confess submitted to John's baptism for the repentance of sins. And in doing so, Jesus was showing that this time God's judgment on sin and the world's rebellion would fall on him, on the Messiah, the Son of God. The people who went to John in the wilderness, they did so because their history and in their hopes, they understood that God was acting. And so they entered that dry and desolate and lonely place willingly. They entered knowing that this would be a place of judgment and of cleansing. They did so because they knew that behind the pain of the wilderness, behind the pain of their own repentance, behind the pain of their being cleansed, behind all of this was God's rescue, salvation, and even God's grace. Can I ask, how might you be avoiding the wilderness? How how might you be avoiding this place of repentance and isolation and loneliness? How might you be avoiding this place where God's judgment will come along with his grace? Anybody here like to stay in the wilderness? We like to get out of the wilderness as soon as possible. And so our prayers are, God, change my spouse. 
The prayer is, God, let me, let, me be, let me meet somebody so I can get out of this wilderness of singleness and celibacy. I know not all of our single people think it's a wilderness, but <clears throat> some of you do. God, let me get out of this job where I'm not appreciated, where I'm underutilized, where I'm not understood, where I'm not seen and valued. God, get me out of the wilderness. Change him. Fix her. Get me away from that. And I hope that some of you do get to leave that job. And I hope that your marriage does, in fact, get better. And I I hope, in fact, that God does speak clearly to you about your singleness or your marriedness. But that's not the point this morning. The point is that God is at work in the wilderness. And our fixation on getting out of the wilderness as soon as possible is short-circuiting what God wants to do with us and to us in the wilderness. Are you with me? Now, I realize it's a little tricky because on the one hand we don't have the benefit of that same history and hope that the people running to John in the wilderness do. So maybe the call to the wilderness seems um, irrelevant to us. We're tempted to avoid the wilderness, the dry times, the lonely times, the doubting times, the confusing times, the times of abandonment and betrayal. We just want to get through them as quickly as possible. Who willingly would walk into the wilderness? But on the other hand, every single one of us this morning has a history of knowing God's salvation. Our history is not the same as those who are running into the wilderness, but every single one of us has a history of having experienced God's salvation. Every one of us this morning has known the exodus from sin and addiction and despair, self-hatred, isolation, rage, prejudice, greed, on and on the list goes. We have histories of God leading us into the wilderness where we are brought to an end, to the end of ourselves. And we can finally accept his salvation and our place within his family. Even if you're not a Christian here this morning, I would claim that you have experienced God's salvation. That God has kept you. That God has protected you. That God has placed people who love you in your life. Every one of us on some level has an experience, a history of God's presence and his salvation in our life. And I would also say that although our hope might sound a little bit different than it did for them, we also have hopes for our future. We have hopes for our children's future. We have hopes for the future of this city. We want to see the people we love thrive. We want our neighborhoods and our neighbors to know peace. We want our young people to default to college rather than to prison. We want the refugee crisis to be solved, not by walls and deportation, but by nations who are free to actually provide the best for their citizens. We want the bureaucracy of our public school system to help and support our teachers rather than hinder them. We want our legal system to judge equally between white-collar criminals who build their portfolios on the backs of the poor and the small-time dealer who's had no other opportunity for employment in his neighborhood. 
We could go on and on and on about our hopes. But if we're honest, we're also hopeful for our own hearts and minds that we would be transformed. Our hopes include our own salvation so that we can give ourselves selflessly and joyfully and fully to everything that is good and beautiful and just in this world. Our histories of God's salvation and our hopes for a good future, they come together in the wilderness. And by rushing to get out of the wilderness, by short-circuiting your time in the wilderness, by rejecting God's invitation to the wilderness, you are missing the opportunity to see God's history and your future come together. It happens in the wilderness. It happens when all of the support is taken away, when all of the distraction is taken away, when all of the idols are are demonstrated to be empty and hollow and impotent. It happens in the wilderness. And so, go to the wilderness. Go willingly to the wilderness. In another gospel, we're told that Jesus is led into the wilderness and Jesus is led out of the wilderness. The Holy Spirit will let you know when it's time to leave the wilderness. And as we'll see next year, while next week, while Jesus is in the wilderness, he's attended to by angels. You will be kept in the wilderness. (laughs) You will know God's presence for you in the wilderness. The goal is not to get out of the wilderness in order to know God. God will be with you in the wilderness. Go willingly into the wilderness. It will expose you. Your sins will be known. Your failures will be known. Your deepest needs and wounds cannot be hidden in the wilderness. In the wilderness, our only option is to repent. But... In the wilderness, we find grace. In the wilderness, we find the Son of God submitting to our judgment. Yes? In the wilderness, we find the Son of God submitting to our judgment. Jesus is baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus submits himself to the judgment that was rightfully ours. Where? In the wilderness. This is the promise for you and for me. In the wilderness, we will not only experience the the tearing apart and and the standing vulnerable and the not being able to hide and pretend any longer. We will also experience in that moment the Son of God taking the repercussions for all of our sin, all of our injustice, all of our rebellion onto himself. So that we can be baptized, not into judgment, but into the power of the Holy Spirit. Is that good news? So go to the wilderness. Stay there until the Holy Spirit leads you out. There is something good for you in the wilderness. It will hurt. It will feel like death at times. Jesus, the text tells us, is with the wild animals in the wilderness. But there is life in the wilderness. There is healing in the wilderness. 
There is the Son of God taking for you everything that you deserved and giving you everything that you didn't deserve in the wilderness. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so, God, please continue to speak as we receive now the bread and the cup. Allow for us uh, today this, uh, this, this supper that you invite us to, to not just be a memory, not just be a, a reminder of your sacrifice, but to be for us food in the wilderness. But to be for us a, 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 a tangible, a physical uh, experience of your grace, that wherever we find ourselves today, you are enough. That whatever is being ripped from us today, you will replace it tenfold. Wherever we feel like we have been abandoned today, you will be with us and for us for all of eternity. Let us feast on you today in whatever wilderness situation we find ourselves. Give us food for the journey. Give us just what we need today so that we can sit with you in this place, attentive to what you want to do in our lives what you want to put back together, what you want to heal, what you want to free us from, what word you want to give us about the future that you've laid out before us. Let us sit and stay in this place until you tell us it's time to go. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that even, even, even the wilderness with you is good. That, that even... Even, even what can seem like abandonment and betrayal and isolation and loneliness, even all of this in you will be transformed for our good and your glory. So thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.